in the text this morning, I want to consider why our values are so important. Because whether or not we have you know, actually written them down or not, we all have values. We all have these systems that we say, I, I cherish this. This means a lot to me. And it affects the way that we live. It's, these values, they more than just flavor our perspective. They define a person. And they, they shape us, our worldview, our goals, our pursuits. They're kind of like our DNA for how we live. They inform what and why and how we do things. And not only do individuals have values, but companies and organizations have recognized that they need to bring clarity to who they are and what defines them. So just a quick example, if you think of the company Chipotle, um, by the way, if anyone goes to Chipotle today, I get a 5% cut. Uh, just kidding. Uh, no, uh, one of their core values is that they make fresh food daily. And that value has informed how they operate. So they don't have any freezers, they don't have any can openers at all on their site because they have that value that they make fresh food daily. So these values, they, they're not only ideas that we hold, but they shape how and why we operate the way that we do. And families, we also have these distinct values. Again, it may not be written down or verbalized, but there are certain things that are just understood within the family. For instance, in my family growing up, we knew that grandma was going to make Kraft macaroni and cheese, the blue box, every Sunday after church. It was just a given. If we were at grandma's in Springfield, we were going to have Kraft macaroni and cheese in some form or fashion in the meal. And if we sat at the table, and we did not have the blue box served in front of us. We knew that something was wrong with Grandma. She was on the struggle bus that morning. And I would imagine that your family has values as well that have shaped how you live, how you function, whether it's certain holidays that you all come around together or certain songs that you all unite around. You have values, and they have shaped the what and the how and the why of how you live. Now... In my family growing up, we, we valued music, so we had music playing all the time. I love seeing how that value has moved from one generation to the next. My kids have adopted this value as well. And we see this generational continuance of values that I really hope and pray that we see coming out through the culture here at Overflow. That what we speak about today and in these next five weeks that it will set the course of who we are for generations to come. So, throughout this series, we're going to look at the core values of Overflow Church. And my hope is that as we examine each of these values, it helps us unite around what's most important. That our, our values and our priorities, they're shaped around these values. That it's the why behind what we do here at Overflow. And just as an aside, let me say... But this is a great time for you to be here today to learn about who we are as a church and to determine if this is a place where you want to lock arms and see generations of your own family uh, growing and being shaped by these values. So I would encourage you to plan uh, for the next six weeks to come and just invest in our community to learn who we are and why we are so that you can best determine if this might be the place for you to connect. So today, our, our first value is the one that defines them all. Here at Overflow Church, 
Jesus is our example. That's our first value. We believe that Jesus is God, that he came to earth to rescue us from our sins and to show us the best way to live. We believe that Jesus walked among us and he experienced the weights and the hardships and the temptations of this world. But he did it all without falling into those temptations. He didn't fall under the curse that you and I have lived under our entire lives. He was absolutely perfect and without any sin. So, because Jesus is our example, what the Bible reveals about his life shows us how we should live. We see him model compassion and justice and mercy and love and peace and hard work and how to be a good friend and how to serve others well and how to lay down our lives for others. And here at Overflow, we want to follow his example. We want to live like Jesus. And today we're going to look in particular at Jesus' example in John chapter 4 that Stacy just read a moment ago. Now, this passage is actually what we have centered our church around. Now, typically here at Overflow, we're going to work through a book uh, over the course of several months. But here in this series, we're going to kind of bounce from value to value. But even in these times when we don't sit in a text for a long period of time, you'll find that our, our messages, our, our heart, is all driven from the text itself. The word revealed is what we base our, our life around. So, like I said, today we're in John 4. And I don't know how you process and remember things best, but it helps me to have a broad understanding of what's going on. So, before we read the text more, here's just a super high-level flyover of what's happening in John chapter 4. Now, Jesus intentionally went to someone who had been hurt by sin both her own sins and the sins of others. And Jesus, he showed this woman the love of God, and he spoke to her in a beautiful combination of truth mixed with grace. And it allowed her to see Jesus for who he is. And through her encounter with Jesus, her life was changed. But that's not where this story ends. After her life was changed by Jesus, she went back to her community, the ones who had rejected her, who had pushed her aside, and she told them what she had found in this Jesus. So we want to see that example play out in each of us at Overflow Church. We want to be transformed by Jesus. We want to see others transformed by him too. So like Jesus, we want to go to those who have been hurt by sin both their own sin and the sins of others. And we want to go to them in a way that communicates the truth about Jesus and his love for them. So let's look at the text itself and unpack Jesus' example in more detail so we can see a few specifics of what it looks like to incorporate these family values into our lives. So if you have your Bible, let's read John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Uh, we also have Bibles under the seat. If you don't have them, it will be uh, on the screen at times as well. Um, so here, John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. 
Now stick your finger in the passage there, and we'll continue reading in just a minute. This is a, a fairly short passage, but it has a massive truth and family value right there. Jesus shows us the value of kingdom, not competition. Jesus caught wind that the Pharisees were starting to compare his ministry to his cousins, John the Baptist, and he's like, you know, I'm not playing that game. I'm not going to compete and compare. We're in this together for the same purpose. And when he understood that, he actually leaves town. Now, friends, you and I, we cannot fall into this competition mindset that says it's it's my little kingdom over here, and it's your little kingdom over here. Our goal is to see his kingdom come, and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if we're going to see that happen, we need to work to find unity where we can find unity. Now hear me, there are some things and some groups where we have to draw dividing lines because we're not pursuing the same goal or we're not worshiping the same God. But I can promise you that the kingdom is bigger than these walls and that it's bigger than one tribe or one denomination. The kingdom, listen closely, the kingdom is for all who first recognize Jesus for who he is. He is the only begotten Son of God. And second, who follow him. If they recognize Jesus for who he is and they follow him, we are together. We need to pursue unity in that. And that's part of the reason we take some time most weeks to pray over other churches like we did earlier today, praying for New City and Raytown. Our values inform our actions. We want to see other churches thriving and pursuing the mission wherever the Lord has placed them. So we pray for them, and we give to them, we go to support them. And I would say if, if after coming today you think Overflow Church isn't the place for you, there's no hard feeling. In fact, I want to be a help to you. I want to help you find a place where you can connect and grow and serve. Because we have this value, that it's kingdom, not competition. So let's pick back up in verse 5. John writes, He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone in, into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now those first six words in that passage are absolutely incredible. It says he had to travel through Samaria. Now, most Jews would have seen those words and their jaws would have dropped. Jesus chose to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. And it's shocking because most Jews would adamantly argue <coughs> against anything to do with Samaria. In fact, the common practice for most Jews at the time was to completely avoid Samaria altogether. The Samaritans, they were the rejects, the unclean, the half-breeds, for any Harry Potter fans, the mudbloods, they were unclean. And there were 
really a, there was a bitter rivalry between the Jews and the Samaritans. So, like I said, most Jews would avoid Samaria altogether. Uh, we, we have a map here, and if you take a look at this map, you can see Samaria is right in the middle with Judea and Jerusalem in the south and Galilee in the north. And here we see Jesus saying he had to go from Judea through Samaria to reach his destination in Galilee. And that was totally uncommon in the day. In fact, most people, if they were traveling either from Judea to Galilee or vice versa, they would cross the Jordan River on the east, go along the east side of Samaria, and cross the Jordan River again just to avoid Samaria altogether. They didn't want anything to do with the place. And it would actually take a trip that was typically about a three-day journey and take almost a week with this extra route to avoid these people. But Jesus, John says, had to go through Samaria. That short statement communicates a beautiful truth, a beautiful value that Jesus modeled for us, that people are primary. Would you say that with me? People are, are primary. primary. Jesus he wasn't concerned about what the religious Jews thought of him going through Samaria. He wasn't focused on his reputation or how this choice might cost him in other ways. He had to travel through Samaria because people are primary. And he had his sights set on this community and this woman in particular. So how might this value play out for you and me today? Well, instead of focusing on building a large church with a big budget at, at overflow, we want to raise up and send out. We want to raise up and send out. We believe that we can reach more people and help them experience the transformation of Jesus by starting more churches rather than just building our own. And as we stated earlier this morning, our mission is to saturate our community with the overflowing love of Jesus. And we believe that saturation is going to come by starting more churches across the Kansas City area. So another way that this value that people are primary affects you and me is by helping us maintain an outward focus. It's not about finding a place that makes me comfortable. You know, every aspect of coming to church should be focused outside of ourselves, right? Our worship it's not singing my favorite songs just because I enjoy them. It's about bringing glory to God. As we steward our gifts and our talents and our resources, it's not about using them to make us happy. It's about using them to grow the kingdom. And as we're challenged to grow as followers of Jesus, it's not so that you and I can be seen as strong in and of ourselves. It's so that we can better reach people, all people, with the love of Jesus, because people are primary. And when we cultivate that outward focus, we begin to recognize how much pain and brokenness we all carry in different ways. This outward focus, it begins to shape our hearts so that we are drawn to people, that we feel a deep yearning for others to experience the healing and the freedom that we've found can only come through the life of Jesus. Let's pick back up in verse 10. 
Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Now, remember, this woman is at the well at noon. She's drawing water at the absolute hottest part of the day, in the Middle East, nonetheless. That must have been a pretty desperate circumstance, don't you think? As we'll see in the next part of the passage, this woman had a pretty extensive list of shames that she carried. She had become an outcast within a nation of outcasts. And she determined that her best option would be to avoid the stares and the ridicule and the shame from her community altogether. So she went to the well when she knew no one else would be there at the hottest part of the day. Now so often, you and I try to do the same thing with this woman. We try to hide and cover up the pain from our past decisions and we act like we've got everything under control, but if we're honest with ourselves, we're only putting band-aids on bullet holes. T-Swift can tell us how well that works out, right? <laughs> what Jesus reveals to this family, to this woman rather, is our third family value today, that life is in our Lord. When Jesus told her what he was offering, the woman was pretty skeptical. You don't have a bucket, she said. You're obviously thirsty yourself, so how can you give me anything? And I, I don't have any idea who you are. But Jesus continued. He pressed on past her question. He shared that what he was offering was more than just bringing satisfaction for a moment. He was bringing saturation. He was bringing more than just energy or strength. He was bringing life. And this value that life is in our Lord, it directly shapes us. Because when we recognize that true life, abundant life, and overflowing life is only found in Him, we begin to see how the other things we once pursued are just cheap knockoffs and imitations. Instead of attempting to create our best life by, by building our own kingdoms here, by earning more money or getting more likes on social media, or by chasing after the highs of this world, let me hopefully save you some hassle and heartache and remind you that life is only found in our Lord. True life is only found in our Lord. Those things, they might bring satisfaction or pleasure for a moment, but it will not last. The pain will return. The cravings will actually increase. And in the end, you'll feel more empty than you were at the beginning. When Jesus offers us life, he doesn't just bring momentary happiness. He brings transformation. In Ephesians 2, Paul writes that you were dead 
and your trespasses and sins. But God made us alive in Christ. He didn't just make us better. He took us from dead and made us alive. He literally takes us from perpetual, unending debt to satisfaction and peace. He has wiped away our debt. He has paid the price that had to be paid. And it was a debt that had to be paid in blood. And he took that himself. Jesus took it on himself. He loved us enough to die for us, even when we were his enemy, Romans tells us. And that is an incredible love. Now, friends, we are all in the same position. Every single one of us. The Bible says that we have all sinned and that the consequences of our sin is death. And that sin, it separated us from God. But Jesus, he came to seek and save the lost. And that is really good news. And if we pick back up in 16, we'll see one final example that we all need to live out today. He says, go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You've correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Here's our final example for the day. Knowing isn't enough. The woman, after being confronted with the knowledge of her sin, like most of us, got really uncomfortable. And started to shift, try to get away from the awkward. And she defaults to the two talking points that is almost guaranteed to shut down conversation. You've experienced it at Thanksgiving, I'm sure. Religion and politics, right? <laughs> she brings up the dividing walls as quickly as possible. But Jesus brings it back. He comes back to the point where this woman must decide how she will respond. And friends, this last example is one that all of us will one day have to answer. Did we just know about Jesus, or did we follow him? If you consider the, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they knew all about the Messiah. They had read the scriptures, they understood the prophecies, but they didn't follow Jesus. And along those same lines, there are probably even some here today who have heard the stories of Jesus. Maybe you've read the Bible. Maybe you've tried to live an honorable life, but you've done it all on your own. Hear me. You can choose to live that way, but one day you'll have to carry the weight of your sins on your own as well. 
and you will not perceive life in our world. There is one way to life. It's by knowing and following after Jesus. Knowing is good. It's beneficial. It's a gift that God has given us. But knowing is not enough. Knowledge doesn't bring transformation. It just brings information. And if you read on in John chapter 4, you see that this woman did more than just receive information. She recognized that Jesus is the only way to life. And she responded. She followed. She turned away from the shame and the guilt that she had carried for all of those years. And she was made new. In fact, she actually returned to the community that had rejected her. She ran to tell them all about who this Jesus is and what he had done in her life. She took the step from knowing to experiencing. And it not only changed her, but it changed her community as well. Today, as we've seen, Jesus is our example. And when we follow his example, it makes a massive impact. Not only in our lives, but also in the lives of those around us. When we live according to this value, our lives and the lives of those around us are dramatically different. And maybe you're here today and you feel like this Samaritan woman. The, the details of your story may be different, but you're recognizing that you have lived disconnected and broken in many ways because of sin in your life. Maybe it's things that you've done. Maybe it's things that others have done to you. But the truth is that all of us have sinned. All of us have sinned against God, and that sin has separated us from Him. Now, on top of that, the Bible tells us that the wages or what we've rightfully earned because of our sin is death. And God had a perfect design for humanity, but when sin entered our lives, it brought all kinds of pain and brokenness. And we've all attempted to numb the pain or duct tape what's been broken in a variety of ways, but each and every time we discover that those attempts, they cannot fix what sin has destroyed. In fact, many of those attempts, they just amplify the brokenness inside of us. But that's not the end of the story. As we saw today, Jesus wasn't focused on gaining fame or recognition. He focused on the kingdom. And he came to meet us in our brokenness because people are primary and most important. And remember, he doesn't leave us in our brokenness, but he shows us a better way because life is found in our Lord. And if you believe that knowing isn't enough, let me encourage you to do something about it today. Instead of just acknowledging the sin in your life, let today be the day you make the best decision of your life by repenting, turning away from your sins, and believing that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price that you owe, to pay the price for sin in your life, just like he did in my life and the life of so many here. So I'm going to say a prayer now, and I would just invite you all to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you are here, you recognize that you have not been following Jesus. Maybe you have knowledge about him, but your life has not been transformed by him. I would invite you to just humbly pray this prayer with me. Just in your heart. God, I know 
but I'm a sinner. I can't deny it. I know the brokenness that I've experienced and the weight that I've carried, and I can't do it. I know that I need you, and I thank you that you sent Jesus. I believe that he is your son and that he lived a sinless life and that he died on the cross for me. Father, I thank you for his sacrifice. And I pray that just like you raised Jesus from the grave, that you would raise me from the grave as well. That I would be transformed and made new in him. Help me to follow after you. Help me to be like that Samaritan woman and experience the transformation and tell others about how good you are and this beautiful work that you've done in my life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, I'm so thankful that you're here today. I want to uh, transition just a little bit. Uh, each week here at Overflow, we do something we 